Syria are fans everywhere. From our nation's capital, this is Cool of America. Welcome, Curve Americans and Podcast Paisani, for a podcast special. We're joined today by a fellow podcaster. He originally hails from Gothenburg, Sweden, but has been a New Yorker since 2003, when he played for the mighty Red Storm of St. John's University. His podcast takes a long-form review approach with interesting and influential profiles involved in the soccer world, discussing everyone's lives and career journeys. For the Serie A fans, we encourage you to check out his interviews with New York attorney and Venezia FC owner Joe Tacopina, an Italian-American and U.S. Soccer Federation presidential candidate Kyle Martino. Both interviews talk about the Serie A, but beyond the league, we all love. There's some really just incredible interviews here, which we're going to get into in this uh, special podcast. It's available on the app Acast. We welcome to our podcast here at Curve America, Mr. Sebastian Alvarado. Well, thank you so much. Wow, what an uh, what an introduction! Uh, right off the bat, I uh, I can tell I have a lot of homework to do on my end to to get my <laughs> intros right. That was uh, yeah, very flattering, and it's an honor to be on. We are honored as well, Sebastian. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you begin your podcast uh, every single episode by asking your guests how they take their coffee. Very apropos for a coffee and football podcast. If you'll yep. allow us to borrow on that theme, uh, let's take it with an Italian twist. How do you take your espresso whenever you're in Italy? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I don't go that often, but I've tried to make a point over the past few years to to get over there a little more often because I, I love Italy. Um, I speak the language pretty well. Um, so last time I was there was, which was in July of this year, I spent some time down in Sorrento and, um, in the Naples area, actually a, a first in terms of a coffee experience, uh, went to these little coffee shops in, in the middle of the city in Naples and they kept their espresso cups in, um, a tray of boiling water. So it was about an inch of boiling water, which was really interesting. So when they would serve you the coffee, they would pick it up. Um, with, uh, with, with these little, almost like looking like chopsticks, right? So they were, they were, it was like a very meticulous type of a way of picking up the, uh, the cup. Like you could tell they were taking it so seriously and serving a really, you know, hot, nice espresso. And, uh, so yeah, I, I guess that's the way I'm trying to adopt it. I, I have yet to find a place in New York city that does it, but uh, <laughs> that's definitely a recommendation if you head down that way down to Naples, because it, it was an amazing experience. And I have to tell you that, yeah, it was probably the best espresso I've had. All right. So for all the Napolitano fans out there, we're uh, coming down for the espresso as well as watching Napoli play. For me, uh, Sebastian, my Italian-Americanness is very much exposed every time I go over to Italy, and I'm ordering my cappuccini well after the breakfast hours, getting those long looks <laughs> from the Italians, but that's how I like it as an Italian-American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. We, we all have our, our little ways. And, uh, <laughs> I, I know and the, the Italians take, obviously, a lot of pride in that and you know everything that has to do with, with food and beverage. Very true. Very true. All right, Sebastian. Well, we're both podcasters here. Let's get into this. Coffee and football, great podcast. Why did you start it? Well, thank you first. Um, well, I've, I've been a, well, first and foremost, the passion for, for football is there and has been there my entire life, right? Um, then in terms of podcasting, I got into it pretty early in terms of listening. I think it was about 10 years ago that I started listening. I, I didn't even know the, you know, that they were necessarily called, called podcasts, but um, I was working in New York City. I was working with like creative and digital agencies. Uh, I was on the business development and the sales side of things and, you know, had no idea what the hell I was doing. So I was seeking for sources to, to learn more about it. And there was this one podcast that was all about sales, right? Uh, so that was one. Uh, so every morning I would walk to work, you know, put on my headphones, uh, 
it probably wasn't even an iPhone at the time. It definitely wasn't an iPhone at the time. Uh, but I was able to access these episodes that I would download and, and listen to them every, every day to work. And then I just started to, I, I just liked the medium, right? So uh, instead of like radio or instead of listening to music, I just got into all kinds of podcasts. Um, many, you know, that were completely unrelated to whatever I was doing or knew or was interested in. I would listen to like uh, the MoMA, the Modern Museum of, of Art here in New York, had a podcast back then. I, I have I know nothing about arts. Uh, <laughs> will never claim to say that I know, and I still don't know anything about arts. But what was interesting about it was that you know there there were these conversations, and all of a sudden you start picking up little things, and you go like, "Wow, I'm I'm actually learning a little bit, right?" So I think that's kind of one like the foundation for why I got interested in, in podcasts and then been listening to a lot of podcasts throughout the years. And the ones that I usually enjoyed the most were the ones where I could learn something and especially where I could learn about a person's journey. So I would listen to, you know, Mark Marin or Tim Ferriss or, you know, uh, Lewis Howell or Rich Roll um, or any other podcast that I could really get to that were like long form interview podcasts are really interesting, you know, could be people in different areas of expertise um, and just by listening to their journeys, like you pick up a lot of things. Um, and then, of course, being a football f fanatic, uh, I was searching for something uh, in that space. Uh, couldn't really find anything that, that was in that format. There were a lot of podcasts for, you know, The Guardian, you know, with Football Ramble and those types of podcasts I really enjoyed. But I didn't find any podcasts really, in, especially in English, that talked with you know, talk about the different profiles involved in the game. Uh, I've been involved in the game for quite some time and, and know that some of the most interesting stories and some of the most interesting people are not necessarily the, the star players uh, or the ones we see on TV or the ones we see doing interviews day in and day out. Uh, like there's so much more going on in the game. So that was kind of the foundation for the idea. Um, then in terms of starting the podcast, it was... Yeah, I, I was actually standing in my kitchen one day and uh, just asking that question, why, why is nobody doing this? And <laughs> I answered it pretty quickly and just said, okay, well, if nobody else is doing it, maybe I, I should try it. And uh, I had n never done an interview with anybody before. I uh, had no idea where to start. So I figured I got to ask the people who know how to do it. So I contacted a couple of people who had big podcasts, you know, in different parts of the world, uh, just wrote them out of the blue and, and asked them and, and said, hey, I have an idea to start this podcast. Uh, do you have some insights, some tips? How do you do these interviews? How do you structure them? Uh, and at the bottom of, the, of, of those emails, I would say, oh, hey, and by the way, I'm, I'm on a budget. Uh, what kind of equipment do I get? <laughs> so uh, luckily, I got a lot of help. Uh, people were very, very open to, to helping. Uh, and that's kind of basically how it went about, you know, just getting the equipment, uh, you know, getting on YouTube, watching some instructional videos on how to, uh, how to set up the equipment. Uh, so I just got some very basic stuff off of Amazon, you know, refurbished stuff. I think I spent like 250 bucks total or something. Uh, the one thing, the one um, important kind of recommendation that I got from, from most people was make sure to get your sound right. Like sound is key. Uh, and that really resonated with me because I've come across podcasts and they're getting much better, but I've, in the past I used to come across certain podcasts that had terrible sound and, and that was just a huge turnoff and uh, I, I wouldn't finish listening to them. So that's the foundation. Uh, the name Coffee and Football was kind of just a very natural thing. I've, I've been a huge coffee fanatic too forever <laughs> uh, as you mentioned in the introduction i'm from sweden originally sweden happens to be believe it or not uh, one of the top three per capita coffee drinking countries in the world really so, uh, absolutely yeah actually it is i think it's sweden uh, i think denmark is up there and, and finland uh, my mom happens to be finnish uh, so yeah we, we have a lot of coffee and in the in, in the genes and I've had a lot of coffee throughout history and it was kind of a bit of a joke when when I used to play a little bit of football that you know people used to laugh and say oh Sebastian I've never seen you without a cup of coffee <laughs> like I used to have my last sip before going on to the pitch and just put my coffee down next to the sideline basically you know 
Um, so that's where the n name came from. Um, and what else can I tell you in terms of how I, wh where I do them? I guess that's the other piece because it ties into the coffee piece. Uh, was uh, you know that same day when I'm thinking about all of this, I'm thinking, oh well, maybe I need a studio. I guess people record in studios. Uh, so I called a friend who has a photo studio here in, in the city and, and asked him, and, or I told him, hey, I have this idea. I might need to set up like a little studio. Do you think you'd be open to for me to doing that in a little corner like every now and then? He said, yeah, sure, come whenever. But then I was just standing around in my apartment. I'm like, no, actually the best spot is to do it here because mm -hmm. then I can make people coffee when they come in. Uh, plus it will be a more comfortable kind of environment. So. So yeah, a very long story short, but uh, that that's kind of the whole backstory of it. That's uh, kindred spirits, man. Uh, that's that's how we started as well. We thought, well, we like Syria, and there doesn't seem to be much of uh, an American uh, coverage of this. So uh, we're we're right there with you, just trying to fill a niche, and hopefully the game grows with us. And uh, we're right there with you on uh, praying to the sound gods that our recording quality here is uh, is pretty good at the end of it. <laughs> It's very good. All right, all right. Hopefully that transposes uh, out on a, a recorded interview here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sebastian, I, I won't ask your favorite interview of the ones that you've done, but just to give a flavor for, for people who haven't discovered you yet, your episodes run the gamut of soccer coaches like former U.S. Women's, women's national team coach and Swedish coach Pia Sundhagen to team owners like the Foursquare app co-founder and fourth division soccer team owner Dennis Crowley. Ibrahim Ba, former AC Milan player for all the Milanisti out there. Joan Laporta, former Barcelona president. Just incredibly fascinating walks of life. What have you discovered about the game, about these people and their careers? What's been an eye-opening experience for you talking to all these different uh, soccer uh, people? Um, that's a very good question. Because they're so diverse in terms of the, in terms of the profiles. Um, I, I guess it goes into a little bit how I kind of go about choosing which ones to kind of try to go after. Um, and I try to find people who I don't necessarily know their stories, but I might have a little, I guess, suspicion, lack of a better word, in terms of, you know, I think there's something interesting to it. Um, there's some of them who are you know, subject experts in, in a certain thing, you know, as the case is with, for example, Declan Hill, who's the number one match-fixing corruption expert in the world. Um, there's others who, are, who can be more interesting in terms of their trajectory. They came from one place and moved to another. You know, they face a lot of adversity. Um, but I guess, I guess the openness of people to... To have a chat with me has been really an eye opener. Um, in the beginning, even when it came to you know starting to approach people, I would try to go to you know profiles who I had an in with, so I would have a contact to somebody who knew somebody who could make an introduction. Mm -hmm. um, but I noticed it wasn't as easy. Even with your close contacts, it's not that easy to to get them to actually make the introduction and then for that person to kind of react to it. Because you know I was coming from from no from nowhere really right with no track record with no big media company behind it it was just me basically saying hey uh, i'm such and such i have this podcast uh, i'm just interested and fascinated by your journey i would love to learn more about it and i would love to you know tell that story um but i think that you know kind of so then when, when i discovered that i started contacting people directly and i noticed how how open people were to it uh i mean for me Every time that somebody shows up and they come to my apartment, whether it is, as you mentioned, you know, like a Joe Tacopina or if it's Ibrahim Ba or, you know, any of these profiles, uh, you know, they've been just amazing. And they've, uh, they've taken their time. You know, the podcasts are long. My episodes, I think they range between an hour and two hours, which means we sit for like three hours. Many right. times they're two, two and a half hours. So I think that's, um, that's really really one. And the other thing is, um, as I mentioned earlier, I had never interviewed anybody before. Um, I wanted to, my goal was to make, you know, the person feel comfortable. I knew that if I can make somebody feel comfortable, my, not that my whole job is accomplished, but then I've, you know, definitely 
it got in it kind of to a good place. Um, so yeah, I, I would say definitely that openness because from that openness, that's when you start getting all these interesting stories and these amazing insights and, uh, uh, and, and learnings. And then you notice also that, you know, most of them or all of them are very, very successful people in, in their own right. Um, and you start seeing certain similarities, uh, between different, uh, people who've been successful throughout their journeys. And that's actually really interesting because you can have somebody who is, you know, from from a completely different country or di different culture, different have some of those elements. You know, they have uh, certain routines. Uh, they have certain morning routines. Uh, they have a they have an innate drive. Um, they, they, like they have a lot of these characteristics that are uh, really really interesting. And are you you finding similarities too? I mean, just thinking about now your your interviews all in my own head that. Sometimes waking up early, that seems to be a general theme. Uh, uh, I remember the Joe Tacopino one. He starts to exercise in the morning uh, just because that's the only time he can do it. But successful people, you're, you're, you're starting to identify some themes with these, with these people? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, well, getting up in the early morning, I think, is one thing. And this is just, you know, personal kind of perspective on it that, I don't necessarily believe in, you know, when people say, oh, I only sleep four or five hours and I work <laughs> around the clock because I don't really, I don't even respect that necessarily. Uh, I, I respect people who work hard, like they're up in the morning, you know, they, they do their workouts. Uh, they, they have a very kind of set way of going about things. Uh, they seem to have their kind of goals very clear. Um, they, uh, yeah, they have this innate drive uh, that no matter what happens, they, you know, they just keep going at it in order to, you know, reach their goals, which I think is, uh, you know, interesting. I think it's, uh, you know, impressive in, in that sense, too. Um, at the same time, you know, I think that when they tell you this story kind of in depth, you, you feel a, a closeness to them as well. So, because... The other re one of the other kind of reasons, in a way, why I wanted to do this, why I was interested in these profiles too, was because throughout my life I've always been really curious uh, about people and how they got to where they are. Uh, and kind of what I mean by that is, you know, even growing up, or or still today, sometimes there's almost like a jealousy towards people, not necessarily just because they're successful, but who are in certain positions. I'm like, wow, like you can actually buy a team like how do, you, how do you how do you get there right how do you get to these positions and uh, to me it was so unattainable growing up it was so far from you know for the environment that i was in so i think that's kind of um part of that as well but then you notice that you know all these guys are just you know regular guys right and, and really nice people and but then they had certain things in them that that drove them uh, to that, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I'm very curious about how these successful people, particularly the team owners, uh, it's just fascinating their, their careers, their trajectory. And, and, uh, I, I, am right there with you on finding out how, how that all came to be, because it seems like a, a daunting task. Let's, uh, let's talk about one of those, uh, stories. Uh, I found your podcast from the Joe Tacopina interview, Mr. Takabina has been involved with management at Roma, Bologna, and now Venezia. His team is fighting in the ultra-competitive Serie B. Seriously, Serie B sometimes is, uh, is <laughs> it's an impressive league. They're, uh, oh, they're... Especially now, have you seen the table? I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know how many points right now, but it's, it's not many points between the very top teams and the bottom teams. Like, it's probably one of the, and I was keeping my eyes open for this, actually, uh, I haven't seen if somebody has written about that, but you know, I would almost claim that it's one of the most even leagues in the world right now. Yeah, no, that's uh, there. Last time I checked, which was over the weekend, they were in eighth place, but only five points out of first place. So you're, you're talking, you know, middle of the table, but two games, and you're right back up in first place. Is that's pretty uh, crazy? A lot of parity there. So, and they're all fighting for those couple spots to get up to Syria. So it's definitely an intense league, and a lot riding on the games. I uh, I also heard the Kyle Martino uh, interview talking about watching Serie A as an Italian-American kid in a big family up in Rhode Island. You can definitely relate to some of those stories. 
I'm curious, has the Italian league popped up in your conversations with all of your interviewees or does everyone have a Serie A story? How, how has uh, the Italian league, if at all, popped up with uh, other people who maybe don't have direct connections to the league? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's, it's a very diverse kind of group of people that I've, that I've interviewed. So I would say ma- mainly the ones that, had su- that have some kind of a connection to it, right? You mentioned Carl Martino, uh, which is more from, from his upbringing with you know, an Italian-American family. Uh, Ibrahim Bot, obviously being, you know, a bit of a AC Milan profile. He still lives in Milan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Tocopina. Uh, Declan Hill was another one, but maybe not for for the best reasons when he brought <laughs> up the, the Italian leagues. You know, mm-hmm. it was more about the, you know, the issues that have been there with the with the match fixing and, and corruption throughout the years. Right. Uh, but that was a fascinating uh, story in itself. Um mm-hmm. And trying to think who else. No, I, th- I think those are kind of the main ones who who really kind of talk talked about the um, the Italian league. Yeah, I was thinking too. I think uh, Pia she she played in Italy for a little bit too. Oh, I'm, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was she, interested in that because uh, we're we're following the the Serie A women's league seems to be taken off with Juventus and Fiorentina. There was there was a chance I thought Hope Solo visited Fiorentina for the U.S. former U.S. women's national team keeper mm-hmm. that uh, I would be just as thrilled to see Americans in that league too. So um, that's another interesting development in, in Italian soccer. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and Pia she she talked about that and that was quite quite an experience. I mean, we're talking this was back in the don't quote me on the years, but I'd like to say like early 80s maybe that she was over there and she was uh she was a lazio actually yeah we uh we try to refrain from using curse words on the uh podcast we're all romanisti so we uh we don't say lazio <laughs> we say uh the other team from rome as as romanisti here <laughs> but we won't hold that against her um, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I have a I have an appreciate well I'm sure we we'll, we'll probably get more into that but I, I do appreciate uh, Roma quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I had the opportunity actually to be there in Trigoria at their um, training ground uh, yeah. back in 90, this is a long time ago, I'd like to say 97 maybe. Um, fascinating, 96, 97 even. Uh, I was down there with the uh, Swedish youth national team. Uh, we were playing against Italy in uh, Civitavecchia which is about 45 minutes from Rome, mm-hmm. uh, a drive from Rome towards the coast. Um, so anyways, while we were there, we went to visit because there were two Swedish guys on the AS Roma team, Martin Dahlin and Jonas Tern. Uh, so Jonas Tern kind of hosted us there. We went to, one, uh, to a practice. This is the time when uh, Daniel Fonseca was the big star. Aldair was playing out of the back. <laughs> um, I was chatting a little bit with some of the Italian journalists because we're standing right ne- next to the pitch and there were, there were a couple of journalists as well. Uh, and they were telling me, they were like, yeah, you know, the, the guy to really keep an eye, eye out for is, is that guy kind of blondish over, over there. You know, it's, it's going to be the, he's going to be, he, he's our man. He's going to be the, the next big, big player out of here. And, and that was Francesco Totti. Yeah, we could anticipate that's who you were going to mention there. <laughs> Very cool. So, uh, yeah, you were there from the beginning. That's really cool. Tell us, uh, Sebastian, you have your own uh, soccer career, obviously. Uh, you're on the youth youth team uh, for, for Sweden here. But um, all the way back, how would you get started in the game? And uh, and then uh, your your soccer skills even got you here to the States here with St. John. So why don't you walk us through your, your soccer journey? Well, uh it's still ongoing. I play ah, like I like Thursdays that. and Saturdays. You know, <laughs> once you're a footballer, you're a footballer your whole life. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, let me see. Well, yeah, I do remember actually when I got started. Uh, yeah, my my dad took me. My my dad was uh, he's, he's from Chile originally. Uh, he was a very good player himself. Um, he has a couple of interesting Serie A related stories. Actually, this is back in the and I'll tell you this first. Um, this is probably late 70s or something. Uh, so he, he left Chile when the military dictature came in, that came in in 1973. Uh, unfortunately, he was forced to leave. Um, 
but anyway, so, so he, he, he was a good player. The football landscape obviously looked quite different back then, uh, but he had an opportunity. Uh, I, I won't take you through the whole story, but he had an opportunity at the time to go and play for Sampdoria. But uh, there was a few years, I think, where they weren't taking in any foreigners. Oh. So they were willing to put him on some kind of an amateur type of a contract for the time being. And then I guess they knew whenever this ban- – I, I don't think it was a ban, but it, it, it was some kind of a rule they had of, of no foreigners uh, that you know he might get the opportunity once it opens up again. But he wasn't having it. So And then he ended up in Sweden, met my mom. Anyways, so he was the the one taking me to football when I was a little kid. I, I, I can't remember what age. I'd like to say like six or seven. Uh, I wasn't all that interested, though. Uh, I, I liked more, you know, playing with cars and, and those <laughs> things. I was really into cars back then, um, which is kind of interesting because I could care less for cars today. But, <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, I, he brought me to like to a team. Um, I... I wasn't really that interested. So, um, I didn't continue. Uh, and then I had some friends at school, you know, I think what can it be like second, third grade or something, uh, who were playing for, for, for this local neighborhood team. Uh, so I was probably like eight or nine, uh, when I joined. So, uh, yeah, that's when it started off with, with my local neighborhood team in, in Gothenburg in Sweden. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I can't say. I, I, I don't think I probably have a little bit of talent. Just you know, playing with my dad, and you know, he was a very kind of technical, very skillful type of a player. So you know, those would be the types of drills we would do. Uh, I was, I wouldn't say I was chubby, but you know, a little bit. So which <laughs> slowed me down on the pitch. I, I always loved to eat a lot of food. So I was kind of on the second team. I wasn't really a starter. Not not all that great. But then. As I started to to evolve a bit, you know, like 13 and then 13, 14, uh, that's really when, when things started taking off uh, for me. So I had a good foundation. Uh, and then in, in a couple of years, it just went really, really fast. So uh, I was there from from the very first kind of Swedish youth national teams. Uh, so probably done closer to 30, 35, 40 games for the for the youth teams. Uh, the national teams, uh, which was cool. You know, got a lot of exposure to European football and traveling around, playing different national teams. Um, and then, yeah, like at 14, it, it got a bit more serious. Uh, at 15, I was like in a second division team, still kind of youth team, but I started training with the first team, uh, which is very, very early. Um, and I think at 16, yeah, no, at 15 still, I signed kind of my first, basically first team contract uh, for a team that's now in the highest league in Sweden called BK Hecken. Um, so, yeah, so I was there for a bit. I thought that I would become a footballer. That was the only dream I had. Anything, you know, that, that was everything. I, I, I couldn't imagine uh, anything else other than becoming a footballer and got some good exposure uh, back then and had some opportunities with a couple of big European teams. Uh, but, you know, as, as as it goes with many talented players, uh, only uh, very, very, very few make it all the way, and you don't necessarily have to be the best player on the pitch. There's so many other components to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think at 18, yeah, 17, 18, I got an opportunity to, to go and play in Spain for a bit. I played in Division 2B uh, for about a season, Played against Real Madrid speed team with Iker Casillas and those guys. That was another guy that people told me, check out that keeper. He's pretty good. And I think the season after, he, he made his debut on the first team in Real Madrid. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So, I was, I was for a little bit in Spain, I went to – then I played in Norway in the second division. Uh, had a short little stint even in South America and Chile. Uh, but by the time I was, you know, not even 20 years old, I kind of – I felt like I'd seen a lot of the kind of backside of uh, of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not everything is as glorious as we see on TV. That's maybe less than 1% of, of, of the football world in that sense. Uh, so I, I saw a lot, I experienced it all. I've, I've, you know, I realized later on I've been in games that have been fixed. Uh, I've been in teams owned by, you know, 
uh, half mafioso types and uh, a lot of crazy stuff that that goes on kind of in the slightly lower tiers of uh, of football so by the time i was like 19 20 uh i pretty much told myself you know look uh, if i don't make it to the first team in barcelona um then let me find you know something different to do and and still figure out ways and kind of getting in back in with football but but through difference different different venues so to, so to speak uh, which is a you know it was kind of a mature in, in retrospect i understand it was a pretty mature decision um also because i had seen a lot of my my teammates at the time because all of them were were older than me i used to always be kind of the youngest guy on the team uh, but became good friends with people that were maybe you know 10 15 years older that be you know between 30 35 um, maybe played, you know, in the highest league, say in Sweden, or they would play in Division Two in Spain. Didn't really make, you know, all that much money to to be able to retire on it. And then I would see when they were kind of at the cusp of having to quit football, uh, and kind of that desperation that they had of not knowing what to do after, uh, and kind of that loss of identity that had been, you know, the king of the city for ten years. All of a sudden, they were a nobody. Uh, and I saw a lot of that desperation and, and kind of even even some, you know, depressed guys in that sense. And and that was you know, a really a memory that stuck with me. Uh, and I told myself, I don't want to end up there. Um, and that's kind of when this opportunity came about. I, I, I met somebody in Sweden who had been over here to the States, played in, in college. Uh, and so this guy told me, oh, hey, Sebastian, like, you know, what, what, what are you looking to do? You know, or, you know, are you, you know, still going at it? I'm like, nah, you know what? I, I think I'm going to focus on studying a bit more. I was already at the university taking some classes. So he said, you know, well, why don't you go over to the U.S.? It's easy. They, you know, you can just go over there. They pay for everything. You get into school. It's, you know, it's super chill. It's, it, you get a good education. And that's what it's like, huh. That's interesting. I'm like, okay, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> um, and, you know, this is pre, not pre-internet days, but, you know, it wasn't as easy as it would be today to just Google. But uh, the way I did it, I actually did look up, uh, you know, okay, soccer in America, college. And I just looked at the ranking. And I looked at, okay, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three? Uh, number one at the time, uh, right when I checked, was actually St. John's. Um, I think number two or three might have been UCLA, uh, and then I think I think Stanford was in the mix mm-hmm. as well. I had no idea, you know, about I didn't know what Ivy League meant. I had no idea that there was a difference between schools. I, I didn't know anything, right. so I just contacted uh, the, all of them uh, and started communicating with them. Got a good response. Uh, and then I guess the, you know it fell on in St. John's in New York City because at, at the time I had already traveled a lot. I had lived through a lot in my life. I felt like going to LA probably wouldn't be the best decision. Uh, of you know, I, I saw myself hanging out on the beach and not taking life too seriously. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, let me go to New York City. I think there there'll be some contacts there, and uh, for you know to to build a, a business career, probably that would be a good choice. So. So yeah, that's kind of my trajectory. All right, and in New York, that's my home away from home. So uh, good choice. <laughs> it's a good place to be. I'll tell yeah. you that. You've uh, been living there in New York since two thousand three. What would you say after all this time? The soccer culture. What, what's it like uh, being a soccer fan, a, a soccer player up there in New York? Well, today it's fantastic. Uh, it's evolved a lot. Uh, and it's evolved fast, and by fast meaning, obviously, I come from somewhere where, you know, soccer is, is rooted and everything. Uh, but coming here in 2003, um, I mean, it, it was, yeah, they would show the games on TV. But I remember if you wanted to go into the city and catch a game at a bar or something, like, there wouldn't be any place to go. There was this one spot, Nevada Smith's, yeah. on, like, 3rd Avenue. Uh, where where you could watch games that was about it um so so it's evolved tremendously uh you know with with everything like from 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 the mls to uh how people follow the game and now it's i I think new york city is probably one of the best places to be when there's a big tournament going on 
you know, in the summers or if it's whether it's the Euros or the World Cup. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's tremendous. Uh, you know, there's leagues everywhere. I've been playing in different kinds of leagues for the past, you know, ever since uh, ever since I was done with college. Um, and today, I mean, this we all know, you, you know, in here in the U.S., I think they show more live games than in any other country in the world. Um, yeah. So it, it is really, really cool to be part of this uh, in, in terms of the, you know, from a cultural standpoint, obviously, New York City is a melting pot of, of people from, from all over the place. Uh, you know, football is one of those things that today you can bring it up in any meeting, uh, in any, you know, whatever you work work with or any anybody you meet and um and then there's always some kind of connection point so uh, yeah anywhere from the leagues played on during the weekends or during the weeks to also from you know from a business standpoint you start seeing more and more of it you know it's not just the mls offices but you have the big brands that are interested in the game uh the big media platforms um, that have started to prioritize the game more and more and more so so yeah, New York City it's a fan, it's a fantastic place to be to be for for soccer for sure. I, I'm curious then uh, I we've, after hearing your interviews uh, I know I think it's Real and Barca they both have New York offices. Certainly EPL is here uh, with NBC and all their coverage. The Bundesliga I believe has an office. And correct me if I'm wrong on all that, but uh, have you seen a Syria uh, face any any office space for for Syria or, or interaction? Uh, in terms of an office, no. Uh, the only two who currently have offices are Barcelona and uh, and Bayern Munich, actually. Okay. Yeah, we're we're certainly looking for Syria to to kind of get more of a foothold here. Uh, we see and appreciate all the Syria New York clubs. Most of the league is represented up in the city there, which is great for a, a Syria podcast. We we love the enthusiasm up there. For you specifically, if we had to peg you for a Serie A fan, any front runners uh, in the league for you? Uh, yeah, I would say uh, Napoli, um, and, and that comes from well from the early days of, of Maradona being there. Uh, again, my dad probably got me into that because he was and is, you know, always was a big you know Maradona fan. He was the guy to kind of follow uh, for everything that that Maradona. Uh, represented uh, and kind of fit well with Napoli because it was kind of them against the world and then them against the, the rich north. Um, so uh, so yeah, Napoli from the early days. Uh, my uncle actually lived in, in, in Napoli when, when Maradona arrived and for a few years after that and he's told me stories of, of that and what an experience it was to be in that city with, with that icon. I mean, this larger than, than life icon of, uh, of that team. Um, I think there's also a bit of a uh, kind of a, a political, cultural thing to that from, from my dad's background, you know, coming from, from very humble beginnings in, in Chile, having to leave because of the military dictature. So, you know, kind of politics, culture, football were always part of the conversation at our dinner table. And I think at the time, you know, Napoli and Maradona kind of represented that. Um, I can't swear that I actually remember specific games that I watched uh, because I was I was pretty little then but you know I've watched tons of recorded games I think my dad probably still has some VHS tapes from uh, from those days when Napoli would, <laughs> would play against Juve or I remember he has a game they play against Fiorentina he's got another one when they played against AC Milan when Mardana puts in a free kick uh, I even remember the goalkeeper was in goal Galli for for AC Milan uh, so yeah, Napoli. In terms of that, also it, it's nice to see today. You know how how that team has evolved. Uh, you know the fantastic football they they represent today. Uh, oh, actually, believe it or not, well, you can't see me right now because we you don't we don't have the video on. But I have standing here. I have a Maradona, one of those little uh, kind of those little figures, that uh -huh. kind of big big in back in the days. So I have an original one with. Maradona in the Napoli shirt and the Mar, you know, the Mars sponsorship that they had across. Yeah, the place. that's right. Yep. Uh, so I have the I have the original one. So any any time somebody new comes into my apartment, they always have to, you know, 
pay their pay their respect to <laughs> yeah, right. to him you know yeah yeah well his, uh, but, his statues have been in the news this week so uh that's appropriate <laughs> oh, oh my god yeah, yeah. That, that's a bad one but yeah, yeah then the, then there would be other teams that are that i would have you know that i would that i would like uh one of the things was because i got the opportunity to meet a few of them whenever they would come to sweden and play i would always figure out a way to to go to their practice you know to get a picture get an autograph uh, I remember AC Milan coming in, I think it was like the 94-95 Champions League season playing against IFK Gothenburg. Uh, I was there, I was at the practice, I met all the players, uh, took a bunch of pictures. Uh, th- same thing with uh, with Parma, I remember. This is when a young, young Gianluigi Buffon was the goalkeeper. Uh, Inzaghi was an up-and-coming striker. Uh, Gianfranco Zola was on that team, Risto Stoichkov, Thomas Berlin, the Swedish guy. Um, you know, so you would always follow some of those teams because you, you, you felt a connection to them because you had met the players and taken some pictures with them. And, uh, you know, I remember the Italian national team when they were in Sweden. I have pictures, you know, with Roberto Baggio and Del Piero and some of these guys. So, uh, but yeah, if I have to pick a team, it would be it would be Napoli for sure. All right. And that strong cup of coffee, too, that we talked about in the beginning. You've got your city in place, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that place. Well, Sebastian, you you mentioned Italy uh, and their national team. We would be remiss if we did not mention the World Cup events from the past few months. With the U.S. out, all I had left was my family heritage to cheer for Italia, Forza Azzurri. But your beloved Sweden knocked out my Italia. <laughs> And you were lucky enough to be in Europe during the playoffs, so please be gentle, but tell us about your experience uh, during that time. How did it go uh, during the playoff between Italy and Sweden? Well, I mean, when even when, when they drew, I mean, when they did the lottery for the games, uh, I think a lot of Swedes said, you know, uh, okay, just give us any team, but, you know, don't give us Italy. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that was kind of the, the top one there. Um, then we got Italy. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I can't say that anybody thought that there'd be any chance um, to, uh, to beat them. Uh, n- not because... Sweden can't play an even game because typically they even do a little bit better against the better teams. Uh, but just because Italy is so consistent, I mean, everybody knows they haven't made a, they haven't missed the World Cup since 1958, which happened to be the, the World Cup in Sweden. Um, you know, the, the Italians, they always pull it off. They always figure out a way to win. Uh, and that's kind of what I was feeling and, and that that would happen. Regardless of what Sweden was doing, if Sweden was doing you know, well in the first game or not. Uh, but after the first game, uh, definitely got our, our hopes up. Um, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm a big believer, but I'm also very passionate about well, well-played football. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that Sweden uh, showed much of that. Um, you know, I many times I've even been against the Swedish team because I <laughs> despise the way they play many times. Uh, they've pl- they played very well through the qualification games, you know, having Holland and France in the group doing very well against those teams. Uh, but it was the second game against Italy. It was, it was ugly, uh, but I guess they did whatever they could to kind of pull it off. Uh, I was in Sweden for both games. I didn't go to the game because it was in Stockholm. I was in Gothenburg just over the weekend. Uh, but it was it was pretty neat uh, to be there. And, and obviously, we were all rooting for, for Sweden. You know, I'm, I'm also a big supporter of, of Chile, having having some of that heritage. And right. for, the way, for the way Chile plays the game, and which is really the way I, I want the game to be played. Uh, so sometimes, in terms of actually passion and feeling, sometimes I might feel even more for the Chilean team. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a tremendous experience to, to be in Sweden. Even when I remember, you know, the second game, there was a few minutes left. Even then, still no, we, we didn't believe that it could happen. We're like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, Italy is going to score. They'll score whether it's four minutes from the end or if it's 30 seconds from, from the end. I, I don't think it was until that last maybe like minute and a half that I was looking at a couple of my friends who were at this packed bar watching the game. And I just turned around and tell them, I'm like, guys, I think they might, <laughs> they, they might make it, yeah. you know? 
so yeah, it, it, it was a tremendous experience. Really sad not to have Italy there because I think Italy needs to be part of the the big events. But yeah, it went the way it went, and and I guess I'm I'm happy that that I'll have a team to root for in the World Cup. Well, Curve Americans and podcast Paisani everywhere. We're sad without the U.S. and Italy there, but we can certainly be happy for the teams who made it and and made it uh, uh, very well. So, congrats to Sweden. We just saw the draw for Russia. Sweden's in Group F. What I'm considering is probably the closest thing to a group of death with Germany, Mexico, and South Korea. Now that you're in it, how how are you feeling? Um. Well. I have to say, I, I don't mind really the tough teams for, for Sweden because, like I said, they, in a way, they tend to almost do better against better teams. Uh, they have a hard time of um, typically against kind of the more mid-tier uh, types of teams. So, uh, so, yeah, it's an extremely tough group. I mean, I think people, you know, I mean, Germany, I don't think we have... Um, but you never know. Uh, Mexico, obviously, it's a great, great team, but can be up and down a bit in terms of performance. You never know uh, how that's going to go. So I think that could suit Sweden. Um, nor, uh, South Korea, who knows? I mean, I think that's another tough team because, again, fast, technical players, uh, you know, if, if, if they have their... You know, if they're in good form for the World Cup, that can be tremendously difficult too. Maybe even more difficult than, than playing Mexico. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Now, obviously, in Sweden, there is a bit of that, you know, debate of, you know, is Zlatan going to make a comeback? Is yeah. he not? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I'd be, I'd be pretty excited to, to have him on. All right. So Sebastian is uh, welcoming back with, uh, with open arms. All right. For, uh, for him. The big question that remains then, will you be going to the World Cup now that Sweden is actually in it? Um, I hope so. Uh, the tough part with, with Sweden is that their games are like as far as you can get. <laughs> Here in Siberia? <laughs> yeah, I think there's one game all the way out there. I can't remember exactly what, what the location is. Uh, then they have one in Sochi, which is all the way down like southwest. So it's yeah. really, really far. Uh, but who knows? I'll, uh, I actually do have uh, I have three tickets already to three different games. Awesome. Um, awesome. But those are because a buddy of mine he did like the early round of, of buying tickets, um, and I guess I was one of the guys that he called and just asked, "Hey, do you have your passport next to you?" I, I was in Spain when he called me a few weeks ago, and I'm like, yeah, actually, I'm traveling in Spain, and actually, yes, um, I have my passport in my backpack. He's like, just take a picture of it, send it to me. So he, <laughs> he went ahead and, and did kind of the lottery, and and we got uh, we got three tickets, uh, three tickets each. So at the, and he is Swedish, but he's got Moroccan background, so he's really happy because we got Portugal, Morocco. Uh, we got Costa Rica, Brazil, and we have Poland, Senegal, and all of those are two of them are in Moscow, and one is in St. Petersburg. So, uh, so yeah, I have the tickets. So then let's see if, if it works out with with scheduling and work and all of that. But I, I I hope I get an opportunity to go. I've never been to World Cup actually. That's awesome. That's awesome. Ho really hope you enjoy it. Wear the Swede colors uh, with pride. That's really cool. Like I said, uh, even if we're not in it, we can certainly appreciate the teams that are and how cool of an experience it is. It's it's what you hope for. So enjoy that. Absolutely. I actually recommend. I mean, and that's the other thing, uh, which which is interesting. Going back to what you were talking about, uh, New York and and kind of the soccer culture here, is that I have a couple of really really good buddies of mine in Sweden who were asking me, they're like, hey, we're, we're actually thinking of maybe coming to New York and be there for, for a week during the World Cup. Oh, wow. Because we, we know it's an amazing experience to be there, you know, with so many different countries. Like, um, you know, I've done this in previous World Cups. Like, if you want to experience a Brazil game or a Colombia game, okay, you know, then you go to Queens. You know, you go to Astoria, um, alone in north of kind of Astoria in that area, huge Colombian community, big Brazilian community. Uh, you know, there's all, you know, we have big Peruvian communities. So, so it's an amazing place to be uh, during the World Cup, actually. So 
I would, and, and also we have a big Swedish community here, so there's a lot of Swedes who get together for these games, uh, also for the qualification games. We have our spots, so I, I recommend it to anybody and, and you guys to, to come up here to, to root for Sweden for those games. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Just to be in, in the environment, that's, uh, that's definitely an experience. So that's very cool for New York that you get to do that in many countries. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Sebastian, we, we thank you for joining us. Curve Americans, we remind you again, please check out Coffee and Football. Again, where you can find it, it's on the app Acast or at coffeeandfootball.com. Uh, Sebastian, I'll let you, if you're available anywhere else I'm not aware of, you're welcome to throw it out there now. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the podcast can be found on pretty much all the usual channels. And yes, Acast is my hosting platform, but you can also find it on soundcloud and most other platforms obviously itunes uh and via the podcast app uh i am on twitter although i have to say my social media game is not necessarily my forte uh, <laughs> but i am on twitter uh, i do link up with people there it's uh, at coffees football uh, so with an s after the coffee because coffee and football wasn't available mm-hmm. on instagram there i try to document a bit more both about kind of the coffee and football specific journey, but also a bit about, you know, my journey. I travel quite a bit. I have this habit of, uh, I'm not a photographer by any means, but I have a habit of whenever, wherever I travel, I always look up a football pitch to see if I can catch a game or play in a game. Uh, or if there's no game, I always, I always take a picture of it. So, uh, on Instagram, that's coffee and football, uh, which is a great way. Now I'm, I'm discovering to, to connect with people via, uh, via Instagram. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so th- those would be the channels. All right. We definitely encourage everyone to check out the podcast. Sebastian, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to try it for the World Cup. You correct me after I say it, but all right, Sebastian, I'm going to leave it there. But for this World Cup, we want to encourage everyone to shout loudly, shout it proudly, Lut us gos svajaria. Sveria. Sveria. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, my Swedish needs uh, some work. Go we ahead. have a few months to go. That's right. I need to practice for World Cup 2018. Sebastian, thanks again. Thank you so much. Uh, real pleasure to, to be on. Best of luck to you guys. Please keep it up and, and do what you're doing. Uh, I love the idea and the, what, what you're doing. I love the work you're doing. Um, having a you know, sometimes we use a little bit of an excuse of, oh, you know, I, I have this niche podcast, but I think niche is tremendously important. Uh, you're experts at, at what you do, and I will make sure to share with everybody I know and, and be on my channels as well to get some attention uh, to Corva America. So thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thanks, Sebastian. Take care. You too. Thank you. <laughs>